Our key scripture this morning comes from um, the book of Mark, chapter 8. So if you have your Bibles, you're welcome to turn there, and I'll read this here for you this morning. From Mark, chapter 8, verses 34 through 38. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels." That verse has uh, kind of stuck with me since we talked about it a couple of weeks ago. It's, it's one that is always sort of at the front of my mind when I think about my relationship with Jesus. Uh, when I was a kid, as most of you know, um, I'm a triplet, and so there are not three of me, thank goodness. Um, there are two girls and myself, and uh, my parents were older. They were almost, they were almost 40 uh, when they had us, and so... At our church, people decided to adopt us, and a family uh, took me, a family took one of my sisters, and a family took my third sister, and I won. Like, I, I had the best family, I think. Yeah, yeah. And uh, they were just such wonderful people, and they took care of me. I spent the night at their house all the time. Uh, their name was John and Marilyn Pittenger. And uh, they took me to Texas to be in their son's wedding. And I was like, all their children were grown, so I was like their son. And uh, they would always buy me really cool toys and things, which was another reason why I loved them. <laughs> and, but I have this memory, and I have to tell you, this is a hard memory to share with you. Uh, because it sticks out in my head so vividly, and, and I don't like to think about it. But when I was probably, I don't know five or six, uh, she took me to, the, to Toys R Us, which we'll have to tell all of our descendants about later, once Toys R Us is gone. She took me to Toys R Us, and I got to choose something from Toys R Us. And they had A-Team action figures. Not little ones, okay, it's the big ones, right? They have the A-Team action figures. And she took me there, and I said, I want the A-Team action figures. She said, you can choose whichever one you want. And I had a hard time choosing one because people, it's the A team. <laughs> and so I couldn't decide. And she said, well, you need to pick one. And I couldn't decide. And, and then I decided that I really wanted all four. <laughs> and she said, well, you can't have all four. And so I sat down on the floor in the aisle and cried. I got all four. <laughs> to my great shame and humiliation today, I got all four. The reason why I don't like to think about that story is because this woman loved me. She loved me. And she had decided she was going to take me to do something nice for me. And we got there and revealed what this nice thing was going to be. But what she wanted and what I wanted were two different things. 
And as a child, with very poor impulse control, I suppose, I threw a fit until I got what I wanted, regardless of what she wanted. We have been going through uh, the Bible as a story. We've been looking at it as a narrative with, with characters, with different parts that build on one another. We've seen who God is, and unfortunately we have seen who we are at the same time. And while God is the loving creator, the giver of all things, we have seen over and over again throughout the story how humanity has heard what God wants for them, God has made promises, God has given, God has sacrificed, and over and over again, humanity chooses something else beside Him. Sometimes anything else beside Him. I wonder what it is about us. I really do. That we can look the gracious creator God in the face and say, I want to do it my way, not your way. And I don't care what you think. I don't care if you know what's best. I don't care if you have a plan because this is what I want and I'm going to sit here in the middle of the aisle and cry until I get it. Do we not grow out of that phase? Do we never change? Do we stay that way forever? I always ask you a question at the end of this time, and the question that I have for you is a tough one, so I sort of apologize, not really. But all I want you to think about this morning is this. In the past 24 hours... When have you chosen what you want over what God wants? All right, as I mentioned earlier, and as most of you know, because most of you have been here with us uh, for a while now, we are in the midst of a series called The Story. And again, the story encourages us to look at the Bible as one big uh, overarching story, uh, a narrative that's being told about the relationship between God and his people. And uh, we've, we've learned quite a bit about ourselves and about God during this time as we've been going over all of this. God, uh, who is both the main character and the hero of this story, has been trying to have a meaningful relationship with humanity, whom he created to be in this sort of special, intimate relationship with him. But the relationship between God and humanity has not been easy, Right? It has struggled from the very beginning. He, what he really wanted was this very simple, uh, and, and I, have to, I think it is simple, this very simple dynamic that he would be God and humanity would be his people. But as this has sort of failed over and over again, God has tried various things to try to build and maintain this relationship with these people that he wants to have this relationship with. And he has responded 
to everything that has happened, in, and he's tried to build and continue to keep things going. But no matter what God has tried to do, humanity has always found a way to kind of reject what God is trying to do. And we currently, we find ourselves still in the midst of this uh, unhealthy cycle in the story. It started back in the book of Judges, it continued through Ruth, and we find ourselves here at the start of today's story in that same place. So here again is the pattern that we see happening over and over again with the people of God. They forget about God, and because they forget about God, God withdraws his presence from them. When he withdraws his presence, they are given over to their enemies. So some neighboring uh, country comes in, they take over, and the people become completely miserable because they're slaves. And then they remember, wait a second, don't we have God? And then they do something which gets on my nerves. God, where are you and why are we in this position? They call out to God. And God raises up a judge to deliver them from their enemies and everyone is happy. They're singing Kumbaya. Everything is working until they do what? They forget again. And you see this pattern repeating itself over and over and over again. The question that sort of comes to the front of my mind as I think about this cycle and as we find ourselves in it again and again is how is this cycle going to break? What is going to be the thing that changes this thing? What can God do to make this situation different? And the question that was posed several chapters ago When God said to Abraham, I will make you a great nation. Your descendants will be more numerous than the stars in the sky and the sand. When he gave them this promise, we still find ourselves in this weird place where they have come out of Egypt, they have discovered who God is, they have come in and conquered the land, they have become a nation under God, they are powerful when God is on their side, and yet they still don't seem to know who they are. They still are going through this cycle again and again. And so we wonder, number one, what is God going to do to help them break this? But number two, what does it mean for them to become a great nation and to be the people of God if this keeps on happening over and over again? Like This is not what God had envisioned for them. And God has tried to make it as plain as possible, hasn't he? When he is on their side, what happens? They win. Period. When they leave him and he withdraws his presence, what happens? They lose. Period. And yet they find themselves in this place again and again. But forgetfulness, I think, is really not the core problem. It's not like they know God one day and then they wake up the next morning and it's just like, who? There's a question we haven't asked yet. Which is, how do they get from the point of being restored by God and being in relationship with Him to the next generation not knowing who He is? What happened in that space and time? 
Now, the narrative doesn't always tell us what happened because it happens so often that the narrative kind of says, and here we are again. They have forgotten again. But here's what I think we see. The core problem is that God invites humanity into relationship with him and God has a way that he wants things to go. And when humanity follows God's way, they win. But then, after they win, they start to want to do things in a slightly different way. I mean, now that we're on top, do we really mean to do it this way? I mean, can't we just sort of, you know, this looks pretty good. What if we do it this way? And this tug of war comes up between what God wants them to do and what they start to think they should do. And when that tug of war happens between the will of God and their own will, who ends up winning? Their will does, every time. So they start to do things their way. And the more they start to do things their way, what are they moving further and further away from? The will of God. Until they get so far away from the will of God that what? They don't know what it is anymore. And God has given them up until they remember, hey, wait a second. Weren't we okay back there? And they call out to God and they move themselves back to him. God restores them. But this is the seed that starts all of it. We begin to choose our own way. Maybe it starts small, maybe it starts big, but this is the struggle, if you think about it, that we've seen from the very beginning. Adam and Eve were in the garden. God was giving them everything they wanted. Every need was provided for. And the snake comes down. And what does the snake tell them? You can be like God. You don't have to listen to him anymore. You can make your own choices. And here is the irony of that situation as we talked about so long ago. There is no need for them to make their own choices. Literally. They have everything they could ever want or need. And yet the voice whispers in their ear, you can be like God. We often talk in churches about following the will of God versus following our own will, about choosing what he wants versus choosing what we want. And we talk about it because this idea of choosing what God wants over what we want is of fundamental importance because we need to recognize something just right off the bat, okay? What we want is not often what God wants. Yes? If there were no conflict, there would be no problem. But there is a problem which means that there is often a conflict between what we want to do and what God would have us to do, or have us do. It's a fundamental idea and a fundamental struggle. But as we talked about in the verse this morning, which we'll look at again from Mark chapter 8, a fundamental idea, a core idea to being the people of God is this. You put yourself aside so that you can do what God is asking you to do. 
But if you are unwilling to put yourself aside, you will find it difficult, if not impossible, to do what God wants you to do. From Mark chapter 8, Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Jesus is very plain here, isn't he? In order to find life, what must you do? You must give up your life to have the life that God has for you. You must deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. For whoever wants to save their life will do what? Will lose it. Because what happens when we don't give up our lives to God? We make things a horrible mess. Don't we? We think we know so much better than God does. We think we have a plan. We think we can figure this out. And yet we have seen in the story time and time again that when humanity chooses its own way, what does it create? A horrible mess. A horrible mess every time. We must... Deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Jesus. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. This sounds hard. And it is hard. And it's a question that we face a million times every day. That's why I asked you just to evaluate the last 24 hours. Because what do we know is true about ourselves? We could go to the last 12 hours if we wanted, and we were asleep for some of those. And we can look at even those last 12 hours and say, my will was raging against the will of God. Will we listen to God, or will we choose to listen to our own voice? What will determine who we are, what we do, and why we do it? God wants to be our God, He wants us to be his people. And so I'm going to break it down for you just really easy. Sometimes it's, we get caught up in this whole losing our life and what does losing our life mean? And, you know, Jesus tells us to sell everything we have and and how do we start to do that? And, but I, so I want everyone just to, let's just back up for a second and let's just make this as simple as possible. God needs three things from you. Three things. If you're writing anything down, This is what you need to write down. So stop doodling for a second and write these three things down. God needs three things. He needs someone to hear his voice. So just write down here. He wants someone to listen to what he says. And he needs someone who will follow what he says. Hear, listen, follow. When you put it in those terms, it's a little convicting. But I have to be straight with you. That's all that God needs. is someone to hear, listen, and follow. That's what he is looking for. And now if you think about the story in those terms, isn't it sort of painfully clear 
That what God is looking for is for someone to hear, listen, and follow. When humanity moves away from him, what does he do? He goes to one person. When, when humanity has grieved him so that he, doesn't, he wishes he hadn't even created them, he goes to Noah. And what does he want Noah to do? To hear, to listen, and to follow. And Noah does that for a while. But the generations after him don't. So what does God do? He calls Abraham. And what does he want Abraham to do? Hear, listen, and follow. And Abraham does that pretty well. But you see generation after generation struggle with those, say, those same things. To hear, to listen, and to follow. We see it in the judges. The people move away from God. They cry out to God. And what does God do? He finds one person who will do what? Hear, listen, and follow. And that person steps into the gap and helps lead the people back to God. I don't know how I feel about this. That what God needs the most is at least one person to hear, to listen, and to follow. And when I look back at the entire story, knowing that's true, and knowing that it continues to be true, I'm convicted by that. God needs this person in the midst of this fight for our attention. He needs someone who will hear, who will listen, and who will follow. And we see just such a story this week. If you want to follow along, uh, we will be in the book of 1 Samuel, but we will be all over the book of 1 Samuel, so the scriptures will be up on the board behind me today. There was a man named uh, Elkanah. There's, there's so many interesting names in the Bible. Uh, there was a man named Elkanah who had a wife named Hannah, and he had another wife named uh, Peninnah. So, Elkanah, Hannah, and Peninnah. And um, I've always believed it's never a good idea to have more than one wife. (laughs) And if you're sort of on the fence about it, um, today's story may help decide that particular issue for you. There was was trouble in the family because Peninnah was able to have children, and she had several. But Hannah was unable to have children. And in fact, the story says that God had closed her womb. But Elkanah loved Hannah more than Peninnah. So he would give Hannah extra portions of things. He would favor her over Peninnah. And this made Peninnah angry. So Peninnah would start to taunt Hannah about the fact that Hannah couldn't have children. Family, right? (laughs) Am I right? So this is the dynamic that is happening. And at the time, sort of the religious capital of the area was a town called Shiloh, and that's where the priest was. Uh, And the priest, his name was Eli. Now, Eli was not a bad man. Um, He actually believed in God. He was faithful to God. But Eli had some sons who were, the Bible calls them wicked. They are wicked men. And because Eli has these two sons who are wicked men, God says, you can't leave my people when your sons are, again, not just bad or so-so, they are what? Wicked. You can't lead my people if your sons are wicked. 
But every year, Elkanah and his family, would, they would travel to Shiloh and they would give a sacrifice and, and worship God there. And this is where our story picks up. Once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, she wanted a child so badly. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went away and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning they arose and worshipped before the Lord, and then went back to their home in Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, Because I asked the Lord for him. When her husband Elkanah went up with all his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and to fulfill his vow, Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, After the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord, and he will live there always. Do what seems best to you, her husband Elkanah told her. Stay here until you have weaned him, only may the Lord make good his word. So the woman stayed at home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah, a flower, and a skin of wine, and brought them to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When the bull had been sacrificed, they brought the boy to Eli, and she said to him, Pardon me, my Lord, as surely as you live, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life he will be given over to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. Okay. Now, here's something that should stick out to us, right? Number one, what do we know from reading the story so far? Origin stories are important. Where you came from, who you came from, why you are there. Those things matter. And remember, we've just come out of the cycle of the judges where we don't know a whole lot about the origins of the judges. We get into great detail um, with Samson, but we don't necessarily get into great detail with everyone else. And so here, what we have is this origin story of Samuel. Now, what is the most important part of the origin story of Samuel? His mother asked for him. God gave him to her. And then what did she do? She gave him back to God. How is this different than what we've seen so far? It's a level of faithfulness and dedication that we have not seen. A lot of (laughs) throughout the story of the judges. 
Samuel becomes the 13th judge and the final judge of Israel. And he played an extremely important role in the life of the people of Israel. And in a lot of ways, we see something completely different happen here, which is this. Other judges had spoken for God and led the people into battle. They had done all of these amazing things. In fact, many of them were called prophets. But Samuel had a role that sort of surpassed them in many ways because he became the direct mouthpiece for God. His job was to speak to the people for God. How did he become the mouthpiece for God? His mother asked for him, God gave him, and she gave him back. And so from his birth, who did Samuel belong to? God, not himself. And from a child, who was he raised to follow? God. He was raised to follow God. This is important, okay? Samuel was literally an offering to the Lord. He was a gift from God, and he was a gift to God. And within this setting where the people of God are distant from God, this is a pretty big deal that this happens. That someone is willing to view God in this way, to treat him in this way. So Hannah's gift is good and it is necessary. One night Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. But Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Again, the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call, go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. A third time the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy, so Eli told Samuel, go and lie down, and if he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there, calling as at the other times. Samuel, Samuel, then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. Okay, some things we need to take note of. Samuel is a child, yes? And because he's a child, what has he not quite yet grasped? Who God is. He knows he belongs to God. He knows why he's there. He worships God, but he has not, I I kind of like the terminology here, he has not really met God yet. And so God begins to speak to him. And Samuel, being a kid, and there's only one other person in the house, gets up right and he runs over to Eli and like, what's up, man? Go back to bed, kid. And this happens multiple times until Eli realizes something. That God is talking to Samuel. Now here's what's interesting. Eli is the priest, but who is God talking to? To Samuel. And so he tells Samuel what to say. Tell him, and, and, and I love it. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And then God shows up in front of him. And he speaks to him. God spoke to Samuel. But more importantly, Samuel heard the voice of God. So he heard the voice of God. 
And then Samuel listened to the voice of God. Now I know what you're thinking. Isn't hearing and listening kind of the same thing? And are you splitting hairs by making these two different things? And the answer is no, I'm right about this. For example, you can be in a store and music is playing in the background. Do you hear the music? Yes. Are you listening to the music? No. Because there's a difference between just hearing something and listening to something. If I want to listen to music, I don't go to a store to listen to music. Right? While I'm doing something else. If I want to listen to music, I put headphones on or I turn uh, up the music in the car or in my office and then I listen to music. Why? What's the difference? Well, in order to listen, that song has to be the loudest thing in my ears. If I'm going to listen to it, there can be nothing else that's taking away from it. Samuel hears the voice of God and then he commits to do something. He commits to listen to God which means he's going to take the words that God says and he is going to, we hope, follow them. And the first word (laughs) that God speaks to Samuel is how Eli was on his way out. But the point here is that Samuel is not just going to hear the voice of God, he is going to listen to God and this makes all the difference in the world because listen to the next description of what happens with Samuel. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word, and Samuel's word came to all Israel. That's a pretty big statement that is made there about him. Why does this happen? Because Samuel heard the voice of God. He listened to God. God revealed himself to him. And then Samuel follows what God says. And God sends him out with messages. And then God did something amazing. He made sure that none of Samuel's words fell to the ground. Meaning what? They were heard. And people listened. Because he was speaking on behalf of God. This was necessary because the people were not listening to God. In fact, they probably weren't even hearing him at all. The Israelites at the time, they were at war with the Philistine army. And they went to battle with the Philistine army and they lost. Because they lost to the Philistines, what does that tell us? Where are they in the cycle? They've forgotten about God and God had removed his presence from them. That's why they lose to the Philistines. Because if God was on their side, what would happen? They would win. So they go out and they face the Philistine army and they lose. And they ask that stupid question again. Why did God let us lose? And so they go back and they pick up the Ark of the Covenant, which is the box that contains in their theology the presence of God. It was said that God was everywhere in the world, but his feet rested on the Ark of the Covenant. So they say, we need God with us. So they go back and they get the Ark of the Covenant and they carry it out to battle and they take it right to the front of the lines. Look, we brought God. And guess what happens? They lose. And the Philistines take the Ark. 
They take the ark away from the people of God. Because God was not with them and just taking this box, holy as it was, out in front of them didn't win the battle. And this was a massive blow to them as a people. It didn't work out so much better for the Philistines who were cursed multiple times over and over again because they had the ark. It got to be so bad... (laughs) It got to be so bad that the Philistines put the ark on a cart and just sent the animals towards Israel. <laughs> Take it back. <laughs> We're sorry. We don't want this. You can have it. You can, we'll just keep your pride. You can have this back. Now, normally in the cycle, once the people have lost... To the Philistines, what will they do? They'll cry out to God, and God will come back and deliver them. This is where the story takes a left turn. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, You are old. I start out lots of conversations that way, by the way. (laughs) You are old, and your sons do not follow your ways. Now... Appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel, so he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, listen to all the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly, and let them know what the king who reigns over them will claim as his rights. I hate this moment. I hate this moment. Because it is so us. That's what I hate about it. The people look around and they've just been defeated in battle. They took this thing of God out in front of them. They lost it. And so what do they decide they need? They need a king. Why? Because everyone else has a king. Can't we have a king? There are four members to the A-team. They want a king so they can be like everyone else. They want a king so they can be like everyone else. What do they want the king to do? We'll hear more about this in a minute, but here's the problem. They already have a king. They have God as their king. And what does God do? He leads them. And he goes in front of them in battle. But here's the worst part about it. They want to sacrifice the one thing that sets them apart. The one thing that makes them a people. The one thing that makes them different from everyone else on the face of the earth. The thing that gives them the greatest victory. The thing that gives them the best chance or hope in life, they want to give that away so that they can be like everyone else. 
We want it our way. And we are willing to sacrifice the very thing that makes us a people so that we can be like everyone else. Samuel was hurt because he was their leader, but God speaks truth into the situation. He says, Samuel, they have not rejected you. They have rejected me. Just like they've been doing. Now you know what it feels like. So God makes an interesting choice. He said, they can have a king. Be ordinary. Be like everyone else, but tell them what it's going to mean if they get this king. So Samuel tells them exactly what's going to happen if they have a king who is not God. Number one, this king will take their sons, making them serve with chariots and horses in the army, in the fields, and as craftsmen for the standing army. In Israel, uh, sons were a valuable part of the family structure, critical for sustaining the family economy. They supported the family itself. And the first thing Samuel tells them is that they will take your sons. Number two, The king will take your daughters as perfumers, cooks, and bakers. They will all now work for the king. Number three, he will take your fields, your vineyards, and olive groves and redistribute them. How he sees fit, they will no longer belong to you. Number four, he will tax your income. Number five, he will freely take servants, cattle, and donkeys for his own use and as taxes. This is your option. Or you could just stay with God. It is a stark contrast to what God has been offering them and what God has done for them. It could not be any more different. This guy will take while God gives. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said. We want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us. And this is, a, this is low. And go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all that the people said, he repeated it before the Lord. The Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. Then Samuel said to the Israelites, everyone go back to your own town. And there was a Benjaminite, a man of standing whose name was Kish. Kish had a son named Saul, as handsome a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel, and he was a head taller than anyone else. Pay attention to that description of Saul, because it's the nicest thing the Bible says about him. (laughs) He was tall, and he was good looking. This is what Saul brings to the table. Now, God chose Saul as king for Israel. It's, it, there's so much I don't understand. There's so much I don't understand about this. The, I understand the psychology of humanity a little too well, I think. But the fact that God allows him to have this, he picks Saul as king. He was tall and handsome. There was no one like him. He was also completely unqualified to lead. He was from the smallest and weakest tribe within the nation. 
So there was just one catch to this thing. God wants someone who will do what? Hear, listen, and follow. And so even though Saul is tall and handsome, he's from nowhere. So maybe this guy will listen to Samuel when Samuel says, this is what God wants. Then Samuel said to the people, come let us go to Gilgal and there renew the kingship. So all the people went to Gilgal and made Saul king in the presence of the Lord. There they sacrificed fellowship offerings before the Lord and Saul and all the Israelites held a great celebration. Samuel said to Israel, I have listened to everything you said to me and have set a king over you. Now you have a king as your leader. When you saw that Nahash king of Ammonites was moving against you, you said to me, No, we want a king to rule over us, even though the Lord your God was your king. Now here's the king you have chosen, the one you asked for. See, the Lord has set a king over you. If you fear the Lord and serve and obey him and do not rebel against his commands, and if both you and the king who reigns over you follow the Lord your God, good. But if you do not obey the Lord and if you rebel against his commands, his hand will be against you as it was against your ancestors. For the sake of his great name, the Lord will not reject his people because the Lord was pleased to make you his own. As for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. And I will teach you the way that is good and right. But be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things he has done for you. Yet if you persist in doing evil, both you and your king will perish. Have you ever been in a situation as a parent where you've tried your best to explain something to your child? And your child, you know, is going to make that decision. They are going to choose the thing that you wish they would not choose. And you've done everything you can. What do you finally have to do? Good luck, bud. And this is what God does. To God's, we need to marvel at this for a second. God does not punish them. He does not turn away from them. He doesn't even remove his presence for them, from them. He gives them what they say they want. And then he says, just remember this. I am still your God. And as long as you follow me and listen to me, things will be fine. But if you don't, there's going to be trouble. Now Saul does okay at first. He listens to God until he gets put in this difficult position. He's fighting the Philistines and he's been told by Samuel, I'm going to show up tomorrow and we're going to make a sacrifice to God and God will lead you to victory. And the Philistines come and they're camped around Israel and Saul starts to get nervous, but he's not going to fight before the blessing of God. So he doesn't want to wait for Samuel. So he goes and gets the stuff and he makes the sacrifice himself. And wouldn't you know it, as soon as he's done, who shows up? Samuel. And what does Samuel tell him? I gave you one instruction. You were supposed to wait for me to make the sacrifice for God so that God would be with you and you did not listen. And from that point forward, 
it was all downhill. Because what is true about us? Once we start listening to ourselves, who do we stop listening to? God. What do we learn from this story? There is a little too much we learn from this story. And I don't want to oversimplify things, but we need to hear, listen, and follow the voice of God. God calls Samuel, and what are his defining traits as one of the great leaders of Israel? He hears, he listens, and he follows. Israel raises up their own leader, and what does he not do? He does not hear, he does not listen, he does not follow. Everyone in the story is the opposite of Samuel. There is one person that we know of in the nation of Israel who hears the voice of God, who listens to the voice of God, and who follows the voice of God. And here's what is amazing. I say this as an encouragement to you. Through one person, God is able to steer a nation. Through one person, God is able to steer a nation. If they will hear and listen and follow. But when the will starts to pull against the will of God, Because there's another voice that is whispering in their ear and that voice tells them they don't need God. But here is the stupidest thing about the whole story. They're listening to the voice that tells them they don't need God. But they look at it and what do they think they need? Something. They want to replace God. It's not just that they don't want Him. They want to replace him. Look, most of us in this room are not going to argue against the fact that there is a God. So when we choose our own will, we're not saying there is no God. Do you know what we're doing? We're putting something else in his place. You are God. I just don't want you to be God. Because you see, this thing is on the throne right now. This thing is on the throne right now. This, what I want, what I have to be, what I have to become. And in listening to that voice, they gave up the thing that made them. To follow a man who, when they were looking for him to be king, he was hiding amongst the supplies. So what do we do? I just have three simple questions for you. Number one, are you putting yourself in a position to hear? Do you know what I mean by that? We are so busy, we are so full, we are doing so many things that we are not putting ourselves in a position to even hear the voice of God. God still speaks to us through his word, through our relationships with others, by revealing himself through the things that happen in our lives, God still speaks to us and we have to put ourselves in a position to hear what he's saying. Because if we don't, we won't get anything out of it. God, where are you? I know I've scheduled you out of my life. 
But why did you let this thing happen? We need to be in a position to hear him. And then secondly, we need to listen to what he's saying. We may not like this part so much. Because maybe what God is saying is that we need to do something differently. I'm pretty sure that's true. (laughs) That we have to change something. That something has to go. But we have to make God, we can't just let him be the background music to our lives. God is the song we sing. He is not the background music. He determines the rhythm of our lives. So we have to listen. Put the headphones on. Get everything else out of the way so that his voice is the thing that we hear. And then when we hear what he's saying to us, when we listen to his words, then we need to choose to follow. Because here's the one thing that we should know from reading the story. Following God is never a mistake. Following God is never a mistake. Following God is never a mistake. Let's pray. God, I'm convicted by this story today in so many different ways. God, I'm convicted by the fact that even though you offer me life abundantly, I choose a life that is less than abundant. That God, even though you promise to be to meet all of my needs and everything, that I look for something else to meet those needs. That God, even though you have been faithful and have shown yourself time and time again, I still look to put other things in your place. So Father, I pray that you would help us to put ourselves in a position to hear you. That when we hear your voice, we would listen to what you say. And God, it's weird to call it courage. So let's call it sense. Give us the sense to follow what you tell us. May we be listeners and followers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.